Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Vyadaris, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles. We win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Getting engaged is a moment worth cherishing. A one-of-a-kind ring that you design at Blue Nile can help your love sparkle. Just choose your diamond and setting. When you've found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Finding the right engagement ring can be nerve-wracking. At Blue Nile, you'll have the expert guidance needed and a diamond guarantee that ensures you're getting the highest quality at the best price. Cherish all of life's moments and save up to 30% at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. G'day, I'm James. Welcome to the Australian Opinion on Formula One here at the Lakeside Drive F1 podcast. In this episode, we talk about the Australian Grand Prix. And I'm joined by my friends and yours, Tommy T. G'day, mate. G'day, mate. How you doing? I'm very, very well. And Thomas J. Camp. Hello, gentlemen. Hello, listeners. It's great to have all of your company. Before we get into it, though, I'd like to thank today's sponsor for this episode, NordVPN. They've been around for such a long time as sponsors of the show, and it's for good reason, because the app is bloody awesome. It works really well. And Campy, if you open up your iPad right now and go to nordvpn.com forward slash Lakeside Drive, <laughs> you're going to have a very good time because they do have a continued special deal for you, listener. You'll get two years plus four months free and a 30-day money-back guarantee. It is genuinely the best VPN out there. I use it when I travel. Tommy T uses it when he travels, and Campy would use it if he ever travelled anywhere off of the Mornington Peninsula. What would you use it for, Campy? What would you use it? Well, you do use it, don't you? For your favourite television show. Yeah. Real Housewives and that. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Just change your region, you can get a new season. That's perfect. Uh, Go to nordvpn.com forward slash lakeside drive to get yourself sorted out. All right, gents, let's talk about the Grand Prix, I'm going to start it by saying this. Stop doing different versions of the anthem that are unnecessary. The anthem sounds great as it is. I don't need you to do a whole other rendition of, look at me, I'm on Australian Idol. No one gives a shit. Sing it properly. (laughs) And when you sing it properly, the time on target for the roulettes will happen because they'll know the key moments of when the anthem is being sung, the key point to then fly forward and be on time. Don't bullshit your way up and down bloody doing full scale no one cares sing it properly have a proper backing track yeah this is every anthem ever don't i don't need your interpretation of it it's fine as it is (laughs) it's my rant good good and a warranted one to be honest it was yeah a bit of a shambles like james has mentioned before what he wants is perfect timing of the roulettes coming through exactly as the anthem finishes ta-da and then half a second later is this whoosh of like 
air traveling over your head at a very small distance and that was not achieved. It was very disappointing. It's just like, it's not that hard. It's also, really if you could hard. put the flight path over the side of my building so I could have seen it, that would have been excellent. <laughs> it wasn't. Uh, uh, we did. We saw the um, the contrails, as Campy said. <laughs> chemtrails, mate. <laughs> oh, yeah, sorry. I meant to say chemtrails. Contrails is correct. <laughs> I haven't had enough coffee yet this morning. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Uh, the other the other thing that continues, gentlemen, in a space of, of time and and weird space of can, us complaining about not having an Australian commentary team, yes, is very much warranted. But then we have an Australian commentary team <laughs> on Channel 10 in their shithouse. <laughs> Kathy. Oh, look, I thought the broadcast from Channel 10 was an absolute disaster this week. But that's all right. I mean, what, what else can they do? All the good motorsport reporters are all on Foxtel, all contracted through them, through the V8s and stuff. Oh, Rusty's amazing. Uh, think about the old RPM TV show on Channel 10 back in the day. All those guys have since moved on and gone, and they'd be the ones that are really invested in the sport, keep up with what's happening and all the news, and, and they know what they're doing. They're consummate professionals, as I'd say. So, But the reality is you're not going to get those guys to come across for one event a year, so they've got a they've, – they're, they're picking from the bottom of the bin yeah. to try and find it. If, if, I mean, I like Clarkson. Clarkson's great, Tom Clarkson. And I don't mind Damon Hill. I know you rag on him, but he's all right. But the rest of the whole He just stop whispering. But other than that, <laughs> I think if you're going to do an Australian commentary, <laughs> do it for the entire season because, like can't be said, this one trick, one race is not indicative of having the right kind of people with the right credibility to jump in and But they've only got it. they've only got the rights for one race anyway, so that's the only, you know, like. Yeah. Yeah, I think they should make a campaign for the rights further yeah. than just the one race. I would love it if you could have a whole lot of selections on the internet and you can just choose your input for where you get. I mean, I think channel moving towards that. Channel 4 is great. Their commentary team is yeah. amazing, but we don't get Channel 4 here unless we use a VPN. So, yeah. Um, do you know of a good VPN to use? Is I that do, a curse? Mate. Okay, Nord's pretty good. Nord's pretty good. <laughs> Nord's pretty good. Um, but yeah, I think I think there's technology there to do it. We can choose. Yeah. And the the beauty of getting an Australian commentary team is is that you build rapport with fans. It's like when you turn on and you don't hear Murray Walker or you don't hear Martin Brundle. It's like, oh, is this really F one without them? If you put in a couple of years, it becomes that for the exactly. our audience as well. But. I mean, they're little things that can sport can work on and whether it goes that well, way, who I'd, knows. But it would be great if they did. And I'd point to World Cup coverage. I think you all get the world feed and you get to comment over it. Yep. But let's have a panel in a studio somewhere in Australia who are commenting on the race but also then talking pre and post so we're not just stuck with whatever Sky decides to throw us. Yeah. One of the things that is fantastic about going to the Grand Prix is that they do, in fact, have Greg Rust on for trackside. Yeah, yep. And so when you are standing there and you're watching, uh, be it just on a corner by yourself with, uh, with just with a speaker and you can't see a screen or whatever else, he does a phenomenal job of getting everything sorted out. So even though you can't see timings or you can't see who's where, he's got you covered. So audibly, it's a fantastic event in that respect. But you're right, Campy, in the fact that we lose out uh, on on other commentators for that. But it just didn't feel like they really put the effort in that they should have done because we've we've been talking about it. I know other podcasts talk about it too both in the States and Canada here as well, about having a local team. Yep. It's a good opportunity to show what we can properly do. And yeah, okay, bottom of the bin, but I think Channel 10 and Formula 1 need to start looking at 
other content creators like us and like others, Michael Laminato pops to mind always has in terms of stuff like this for, for the broadcast and just go, all right, well, these people know what they're talking about. They're passionate. They've already got a fan base. They're already engaged. Put them on camera. Okay, they might look a little bit funny because normally they're podcasters or whatever else, but they'll still be passionate enough to ask interesting and good questions of drivers, not silly and stupid. Like uh, it just, it became... It was like a, an, a meme of itself, yep. Tommy. I agree. I think, yeah, you want to have people who are engaged with the sport long-term and there are so many people and the market is growing in Australia. So I think the spend is there and um, it's validated to have a team that is dedicated to Formula One and doing it weekly, doing it, giving content constantly, that attention rather than just like the token, let's kind of scramble around the office of Channel 10 and see who we can find. <laughs> yeah. Do you know what F1 is? Cool. Here's a quick 10-minute YouTube video. This yeah. is what it is. And that's kind of what it felt like. And that's no disrespect for the people who've tried their best, but there are so many better people who would be best suited to jump into that who have credibility and knowledge and could actually give us a really engaging presentation. As an event, it is the best run event on the world calendar, full stop, hands down. We have had F2 and F3 this year. We had the V8s, we had the Porsches, and we had some other. We always had stuff going on. There was 100,000 people that showed up on a Thursday when the yeah. F1 cars weren't even on track. I think the uh, the total for the um, – It's 444, I think. That is – with everything else and all the other stuff going on, there'd be half a million people that attended that event over this four-day weekend. Yep. As an event, it is the best-run event in the world, hands down. We're clutching at straws now for little stuff just to get right for the viewers that watch all year round and I think they can get that right and they should just invest a little bit more time and money into doing it. Overall, bloody good product on track. It was a good product on track but the way that the venue was run considering that there was 444,000 people over the course of the weekend or at least tickets sold so... Um, I think it was a an interesting way of seeing how Australia does sports on a big level, mm. and we do them well. And I yeah. think Melbourne, Melbourne, sporting capital of the world. Melbourne has a firm place as the sporting capital of the world. All right, let's let's move on out of the negativity. Yes, because it was an incredibly interesting race. Let's immediately jump in, boys, to our team by team analysis, and we're going to start at the very back of the pack. <laughs> Which pack are you referring to? It's a Alpine. Few. Oh. oh, where do we start with Alpine? Um, the hilarity, the hilarity, the hilarity. Um, let me flag immediately an Australian flair for you, Campy, because uh, here is the problem for Pierre Gasly. He has now penalty license exceeding the amount required Ooh. and may not be able to drive the next Grand Prix. Oh, <laughs> that is, I didn't know that. That, that means is. someone's going to be doing something. Something, some, yeah, so long as he doesn't get spun around. Oh, so who do they sub in? Well, doing because he's the reserve driver. Nice. That's it. That's I what like I'm saying. It. The Australian flair is Jack Doohan. I like it. Good. Get him in. Two Aussies on the grid. Three with Danny Rick. All we've got to do is break Sergio's legs and we're good to go. <laughs> um, if Can I just say, uh, Red Bull legal team, if Sergio has broken his leg at any point, please don't come looking for us because we're saying it merely as a Man, joke. Use reflect oh, his own. Jeez, it's a <laughs> tongue-in-cheek. It's, people- it's not something that, like, come looking for Campy. He's too busy anyway doing his data. Yeah. It's I not think, his own views, not ours. James and I are independent of him. I think the listeners know I'm not talking enough shit to know that I'm joking when I say that. Yeah, look, Alpine, I mean, they had a quick car. They were really good in qualifying, both made Q3. Um, 
I mean, Gasly was he was running up the front most of the race, um, which was good for him. Um, thanks, mate. Really appreciate that. Um, <laughs> your, your fingers smell. Um, <laughs> sorry, James was just adjusting my microphone. Adjust the microphone. Outstanding. Alpine were like they were quick. They had a quick car. Gasly um, ran up the front a whole lot of that race, which was which was good for him. They showed pace. I think. The way the race progressed was such an early red flag and there, therefore there was no pit stops. I don't think we saw the pr- true potential of guys pushing when they could. They were really managing tyres until that last 15 laps when they knew they were going to get to the end, but then there was nothing left in them to really push hard anyway. Um, Ocon, great start, did all the right things. Unfortunately for him, pitted early so that he could try and get in front of the strategy and with the red flag that you know, that, that whole debacle stuff, this race. Uh, they were both in the points before the restart, yep. at, right at the end. So, I mean, it's good for them. You almost sound positive, though. I'm no, confused. but considering, considering where that car was last year in the pecking, in the pecking order, I expect them to, to have a whole lot of race pace. We haven't seen the one-lap pace in the first two races, but they seem to be pulling it together this weekend. But... Yeah, a bit of a shame for them was all, as an organisation the way it ended out in the end. I mean, it's like on a restart with two laps to go, these things happen. I mean, we saw in F2 particularly the guys coming out of pit stops, they had no heat in the tyres and, yep. you know, it was like ice going into turn one and, and that's what ultimately caught them out as well. So, It's kind of the broader issue that we can probably talk about whenever during this podcast but red flags and mm. – the ability to change tyres, I think is probably the underlying issue. We can talk about the chaos. That's that's going to happen. I had in team by team that the, the yeah. final one was the FIA as the team. Yeah. <laughs> and the I'm, final team. I'm inserting them as a team. I don't want to talk about that right now. What I want to talk about is the ability to change tyres because we quickly discussed, like just before we started, we all had the same point, which was if you can change tyres in a red flag so early in the race, there is no strategy involved now. Everyone's just managing to the end. There's no kind of like, when are they going to pit? Are they going to undercut? Are they going to overcut? All these kind of things are taken off the board. And we had quite a boring race, I would say, until an incident. There was nothing really on track engaging me once those pit stops had all changed. Everyone was running hard tyres. Everyone was just following around, conserving, like can be said, until that final moment when – they could make a last play. I think it's really boring racing if you can change your tyres in a red red flag situation. We, this, get, this comes up all the time with red flags, but why, the way the sport's going now and safety conscious, if there's debris or gravel on the track, they're deciding to now go and clean it up and red flag it so that it's safe for everybody. It means red flags going to be – we're going to have 10 times more than we've had in the last 100 years this year probably. So – I think they need to look at those rules because they'll be more common to not be able to change your tyres. I thought they'd made the decision a couple of years ago yeah. and teams went against it and reversed it. I just think normally when there's a red flag that happens, there's a yellow and a safety car that comes out first before they get the information off the track and that's your time to get into the pits when that safety car comes out. If they don't get in before that red flag or they – choose to not go past the pit lane entry before they continue on, then you've lost a chance if a red flag comes out. So, and Like I would say I'm okay with tyres changing, but it shouldn't count as your mandatory pit stop. I think maybe that's the call. Like if you do change in red flag through debris or whatever it is or something, an incident, yeah. that's fine, but it should not count as your mandatory 
tyre change. You yeah. should have to change to a different compound after that. Yeah, because you need pit stops to make the race interesting. Exactly. And the people who did take that opportunity, like a George Russell, who had other issues, but he mm. made the gamble, he put that in, yeah. and it was just wiped away through just sheer unluckiness. Yeah. Like, I would say he arguably had some of the best pace out there and was being bold in his strategy but wasn't rewarded for it because people kind of got a cheap pit stop. And that is like luck of the draw. Yeah. However, we could eliminate that and keep it very racy and interesting by saying yep. you can change your tyres to have a, a, a benefit on track but you don't get that strategic move of this counting towards your mandatory pit stop. Yep, totally agree. And I think it, it confuses people who are new to the sport as yeah. well. Because it, there's so many different things, and even with imagine Max, how many confused people there uh, would have been yesterday. But I mean, we had one of them who's a world champion. <laughs> he was confused about the rule, the ten car lengths to the safety car, even though yeah. Hamilton built that gap, and he's complaining about it and doing all that kind of other stuff. And then and Max did it twice. Yeah, <laughs> well, because it was legal. Yeah, you know, we, we had the FIs like, oh, we haven't checked this part of the rule book ever. Um, oh no, it does say that. That's fine. Lewis is right. <laughs> Uh, just ask Alonzo, he knows the rules inside uh, yeah. and out. Just, it just felt like there was, it was just bonkers. Everyone keeps saying, oh, it's bonkers. I can't wait for, for you guys to talk about it. It's absolutely crazy. But the reality is it was almost, there was three different races that occurred yep. yesterday. Yep. Um, and for Alpine, to bring it back to Alpine and, and for Pierre Gasly, he was lapping the same times as Carlos Sainz in a Ferrari. Yeah. So whilst the race pace longevity probably wasn't there in the same way that Ferrari is, if they had a pit stop strategy to play with that wasn't red flags changing tyres, I would be very interested, Camby, to see how that Alpine's performing with Pierre Gasly in that kind of front five. But to play devil's advocate, the reason why they, the reason why they were able to do that is because DRS on this track was four, four sections, so it was OP as it is. So if you could stay within that second and a half, even though you didn't have DRS or if you did, it was easy to follow in the car. I mean, look at Hulkenberg once Perez, you know, Perez passed him. He stayed in it for five or six laps and because of the tyre management situations that were going on, yep. it actually evened out that whole second through to eight when they were chasing to run the same sort of times and I think that's why we saw Alpines following Ferrari as close as they did for as long as they did. But if that had been on another track where you could push for 10 laps before you came in, overcuts and undercuts come in, et cetera, et cetera, then that's the reason we saw such a level playing field over this Grand Prix because the first two Grand Prix have not dictated those sort of paces at all for the cars and the teams. So we need more pit stops. I think mandatory three stoppers would be awesome. <laughs> Here we go again. <laughs> we're going we're gonna to change them to V12s. Uh, let's keep going. Let's talk about Williams because Logan Sargent finished in 16th and unfortunately for Tommy T's fantasy team, of oh, which he had Logan Sargent obliterated. and Alex Albon, was a no good, very bad time. Albon was on it. Tommy, yep. he had pace. He was up there. It was bloody exciting to see. We know how good he is managing tyres around this circuit. Yep. Until his tyres weren't happy about him turning in as the way that he did and he lost it. Strange no. crash. It was a very strange crash. Yeah. I I was messaging you yesterday when you were watching it a bit delayed. Uh, disappointing. I think that car is pretty hard to drive. I think really quick yeah. over the straights but they don't feel comfortable with that car through corners. The the balance is off, the braking's off. Like to do as well as he was doing is quite remarkable uh, and it just shows how much on the edge he had to keep that thing consistently to put in those times. Very, very tough for him because I think you could see he was actually quite 
quite deflated from that crash. It wasn't one of those yeah. ones where he was like, it is what it is. We shouldn't have been here. He was like really happy with his performance in qualifying and wanted to put in a good race effort. He was running up in P6, wasn't he? Yeah, he was doing so well. Oh, that team will be penciling in Monza as their track this year, Ooh, I think. Yes. So, um, no um, wing whatsoever. Let's go. But we saw a lot of incidents on that turn three. Partic- not the first part of the, uh, like, not. All weekend, though. All weekend, yeah. And across all the categories, we saw lots of issues into there. I think for Albon. It was the second phase of the entry that really cooked him. The initial break was good. The initial bite was good. But as soon as he turned that front end in, the rears just slipped away. And I think it, was, it wasn't a, a driver error as such mm. as I think it was more the tyres and the fuel loads in that car at the time just stepped out of yeah, and the reason for it. Because if you look at the trajectory he went on that angle, he was – Almost, you know, three quarters away around the corner before he lost it. Yep. I mean, he was losing it beforehand and he held it, but it was that second phase of the entry where the car stepped out and he didn't expect it. Yeah, I wonder if they'll review that that turn three because oh. I think it's something to do with the barriers change this year, not so much the actual track, but it was the kind of runoff was changed and there was a wall. Well, they've made, they've made the track wider now. So yeah. on that ideal racing line, you're actually a hell of a lot wider towards the outside yeah, now. Right. And you've always, because it's a street circuit, you've got the crown in the road where it's higher in the middle when it flakes off, you know, t- trails off to either side. I think that's probably why we saw the issues into that corner we did all weekend because yep. it's a different line than what it used to be. And just because it's slightly wider, changes the trajectory and yeah. angles and setups, etc. Let's talk about Ferrari. They did a very good job. <clears throat> uh, I'm so sorry if you wrote to Fosy there. Just, I just can't help myself. Uh, let's talk about Charles Leclerc. Okay, and now let's talk about Carlos Sainz because <laughs> we didn't get to see anything from Charles. Did he have a good start? Who knows? Oh, you did, didn't you? Just did you? Stinker. <laughs> I'd forgotten. Yeah. Oh, that's outstanding. Was he pushed off or he made that mistake himself? Can't remember. Oh, who knows? It was a, t- it was a lap one incident. Yeah, I know, yeah. Yeah, I think he got some contact, but. He just got buried in the. There's so many. There were so many race starts in this Grand oh, Prix. Yeah. Which, which start? I can't remember. About? That's motorsport, isn't it? <laughs> well done. What about, thank you. what about the science penalty? Well, let's talk about Carlos because he was showing some pretty good pace yep. in the Ferrari for most of the race early, uh, and I think for the fact that we'd sort of said uh, Bahrain. You know, it's going to be a good track for them. Oh, okay, maybe not. Oh, no, Saudi's going to be a good track for them. Oh, okay, maybe not. And now we've come to Australia where low degradation, really quite fast, you know, up to 300 kilometres an hour through that back section. Um, the car itself, I don't think was anything necessarily special, not in the way that Mercedes were able to pull out an amazing qualifying or in the way that Red Bull constantly seems to be amazing. But I think the way that, Carlos was able to get to grips with this car on this circuit this weekend showed probably everyone, even though his comparison of his teammate had beached himself in the first corner, uh, what is that he's not going anywhere and he's still a, a top-tier driver, yeah, especially in his own mind. For sure. Um, but to talk about the penalty, I absolutely accosted him for spinning out Fernando Alonso only because he, Fernando's in my fantasy team <laughs> when I personal. saw it. But actually, when I th- when you think about it, and you sort of take it all the way back, those you know to the steps of why the hell did he get the penalty if it is classified again as the first opening lap? Yeah, because yep. Fernando still was able to drive around. Yes, he lost a lot of places, but it's not like he punted him into the wall. 
punted his teammate into the wall, <laughs> who two Frenchmen into the wall, and there was no further action required yeah. there. Stroll like, went off track and still got like yeah. on his own accord. Yeah, and I would even say Alonso's line was probably less traditional than expected. It's like he was coming from hard left to hard right, that angle that he was taking. So it Carlos was, was kind of expecting something different, and just couldn't make a maneuver. I'd say it's a lap one incident. We keep racing. Oh. I, the way it turned out, look, you look at you look at Carlos's steering lock into that corner. He was definitely understeering straight into yeah. Alonso a bit and cut off Alonso's line. But it's a lap one, and yeah. you look at that tap from the aerial. It just looks so like it's like the front, the front left, and the yeah. rear right touched each other and span. For me, it was it, it was a nothing incident, and to get five seconds when you're fi- finishing under procession is just. I don't think – I think he deserved maybe – I don't think he deserved the penalty for no, that. No, I think if, if it was the start of the race, I don't think we would have said anything. No. I think that's exactly what it would have been. Lap one, racing incident, keep going. No yeah. no further action. Yeah, totally. It's unfortunate though because he goes from very close towards the top to 12th mm. uh, to last, uh, I think, of the of the runners of points yeah, of, of anyone second, that was left. Five-second penalty while behind the safety car brutal. is literally to the back. Uh, anyway, it's a shame for Ferrari. It's obviously an indicator that they're just not going to be in championship mm. contention for this year. Um, and it just, I mean, we're only three races in. There's 20 to go. Have they had a worse start to the season? Oh, well, yeah. Uh, 20? No podiums in three races. Yep. Yeah. No podiums. Haven't been anywhere near it. Mm. I mean, to come to Melbourne, the traditional Plus start of the season. Issues. I think you're right. Like, Reliability, sorry. Reliability. Let's talk about the other Italian team, AlphaTauri. Nick DeVries did not finish. Uh, still doesn't look like he's fully gelling with this car, which is unfortunate for him, especially with his debut in Monza with points with Williams. But uh, I would like Ola to talk. Oliver the Sergeant, the two rookies. So. Yeah. Well, there's three rookies. <laughs> Don't forget. Uh, let's. But I think we should talk because Oscar Piastri, yeah, yeah. apparently he got points and that's really exciting, which, I mean, it's not hard to do when there's only 12 cars running. Everyone's <laughs> like, oh, my God, it's great. Well, um. <laughs> but for Sonoda, got into the points. He finished in 10th. Uh, you're yeah. one of our favourite drivers, TT. He is. And, but he was also on for the most consecutive finishes other than first place, which would have been 11th, uh, if he had to stay in 11th. But with the science penalty, he got kicked into 10th and got a point. So good for him. I think he's actually been quite competitive. He's been, I would say, unlucky or like just maybe just lacking slightly, but has been pretty consistent this year. Yeah. Uh, hovering right around the edge of those points. And I think a little bit more from that car, a little bit more opportunity, and he'll take some some big points and is definitely leading that team this year. Car's not great either. Car is really not where it should be. I th- I would think with that Red Bull engine in there, it should be better than what it's doing. But yeah. I don't think – I think it's clear that the engine is not the issue for Red Bull like, – the engine is not what's giving Red Bull their dominance. It's the chassis. So, um, yeah, I mean, Yuki was good. He was good. He ruined Piastri's race. That was probably the longest 15 laps for Piastri at that, in that very first stint that he, where he couldn't get past him. And his teammate got past him on a, uh, on a really good move and took yeah. up the road. But, yeah, I think Alpha Terry, it's good for them to come away with some points this weekend. Yeah, well, they definitely need it. Um, it's interesting in the fact that, 
Yuki was able to keep Oscar behind for such a long time. Then Perez comes past and goes, yes, yeah, <laughs> like two <laughs> yeah. laps. Yeah. Shows the difference between the McLaren and the Red Bull. Uh, let's talk about Alpha, Ta- so Alpha Romeo, I should say, um, with Valtteri Bottas finishing in 11th, which was sad. And I think he had such an incredibly disappointing weekend for the uh, favourite Australian on the grid, at least for me. Um, and Joe finishing in the points in ninth. Uh, yeah. You know, they were running... <laughs> <laughs> like right uh, down the very back for, no man's land. for yeah. most of the Grand Prix. So they were super lucky to at least get one of those cars into the points. But it's such a shame for Valtteri. And I mean, <coughs> there was a lot of love obviously for him through the week as there is for Oscar too. Um, but he even said to me that he was expecting a top seven finish for both cars. Yeah, so which is a long way away from where they were. Like yeah. their pace was at the back. It wasn't even close to points. Like it was only through all of these DNFs that they were close. Yeah, but when you think about the first two races, a lot of the moves that he had and a lot of the following and the overtakes that he was able to do is is interesting. So, yes, maybe a track like this and Monza maybe not so suitable for the Alfa Romeo, Campy. Oh, look, cars, some some circuits suit some cars. I mean, look at the Haas in Melbourne, some of their performances, particularly early before failed pit stops. I mean, I wouldn't say, I wouldn't point to Melbourne for Haas, mate. I don't think they've had much no, luck. But like pre-pit think, stops yeah. are fine. Yeah, pre-pit <laughs> stops. I mean, you think about when they were running in fourth and fifth place two years in a row and, yep. you know, that car suits Melbourne. Yeah. I'm not sure the uh, the Alfa Romeo suits this track at all, but I think I think they'll be scrapping for points. But Valtteri had a great year last year in the consistency he had. Never banked massive amounts of points, but, you know, that – he was consistently in that sixth through to tenth place scoring every weekend. I yeah. think it's going to be a bit more difficult for them this year. But Joe beat him this weekend pretty convincingly. I don't know if there's problems going on in the team or not, but could just be bad luck for Australians in the Australian Grand Prix too. So <laughs> They're too busy. This is James is part of the problem. He's trying to nope. get time with them all and <laughs> distracting VB. I think we should all blame James. VB had James firmly on his mind when he was yeah. going into qualifying he did. this weekend. So that I guy kept... asked me about Adelaide. Where is he? <laughs> <laughs> the only guy to ask me about such a, cycling. Such a beautiful face. <laughs> and not a mullet. Why do you've got why have you got a mullet? Every question. Do you like mullet? Are you Australian now? Uh uh, let's get back to our chat in just a moment. I'd like to thank our sponsor for this episode, Quadlock. Quadlock. Oh, my goodness. I have used – I got sent a, a case and a car mount and a wireless charger, and I have to say I've never been more stoked with anything for my phone ever before than this. I'm holding it now. Tommy T is, is eyeing it off. He, how good Very does it jealous. Feel? I need mine as well. How good does I'm it feel? Excited. It feels great. And, like, I've had lots of friends who are cyclists in the past, and they yep. swear by it. It's the most Tiffany Cromwell can get on a BMX oh, camper yeah. and lock that in. <laughs> I used to have one on my, uh, on my road bike, but... It's they just, are. look, it's, it's great they are all great, over. Yeah. Um, and one of the great things is they were actually at the Grand Prix uh, over the weekend, the Quadlock box, a massive shipping container, um, and they hosted Oscar Piastri, uh, hosted by Molly Taylor, who's a friend of mine through Extreme E. So that was really good to see. Um, Gizzy was up there as well. So the three sponsored Australian, well, you know, adopted Australian the same way that VB is for Shane Akers Burger drivers. Based uh, in Melbourne too, right? Yeah, well, yeah. Yep. yeah, we can see we can see the headquarters yes. from your apartment. You can. Oh, yeah. nice. <laughs> that is a true thing. Um, look, if, if you want to support the show, but also gen- genuinely get a really good product, um, and be really stoked with it. Go into our show notes 
and find the link to go to Quadlock. You'll get free shipping if you order a certain amount. Um, there's money back guarantees and everything else. But no matter what you do, if you have your phone and you need your phone, if you're driving or riding a bike or going on the trails with Tiffany on golf. your BMX, playing golf, whatever it is. No, you aren't. There is legitimately... <laughs> Uh, there's legitimately a use for it um, and a massive thank you to Quadlock for, for sponsoring we are loving being partners uh, with this brilliant company alright let's keep going let's talk about Haas now Campy you mentioned the pace that they had Nico Hülkenberg bloody all over K-Mag oh. he is I'm sorry Kevin but it just seems in the first three races Nico's yep. got your number because yep. he and he even looked watching him go around the track he looked more connected with the car than Kevin did for the first three days that, that I was watching it uh, I think in Q2 when he did his time you know after the first run he got it into third or something so He's extracting pace out of that car over one lap that is exceptional, but even better to see for that organisation is that he can drive this car consistently above where it is, where it has been with, you know, other drivers. Up in the top ten consistently. I mean, he's had some bad luck in some races, but he's got a whole race to show where he's at this weekend and kept Lando behind him for a while and, I mean, the inevitable Red Bulls passing him, but he was able to hang on and, hey, that car is looking very, very good. And with Hulkenberg behind the behind the wheel, I think he'll be – I mean, he's solidified his – probably his place in the sport for at least the next couple of years. And who, whatever know, whoever knows what happens, I mean, Otmar's already thinking about driver lineups next year, which he spoke about this week. Maybe Hulkenberg's a choice to get rid of Ocon or Gasly – however that season plays out. So I think it's great for Hulk, great for Haas, and yeah, yeah. Gunther would be stoked. Finally got someone delivering for him. Yeah. Well, uh, the unfortunate part is some classic Hulk luck where he was trafficking in fourth <laughs> and then turned to fate as he's removed from that. So the guy just can't catch a break. I was like, he's going to get fourth again. This guy's probably had more fours on the edge of podiums than anyone. But then he might have got his first podium with signs as penalty. So yeah. Unlucky for him the way that played out. He exactly. lost out more than anyone else because he, what did he make up? Five positions in well, that, off that start. So. His qualifying was genuinely impressive, oh, wasn't it? I, yeah. could, to see the disparity between those two Haas cars. Didn't quite pull the lap together in Q3 like he had in Q1 and Q2, but consistently in that top five. I mean, nothing will top Q3. that K-Mag first, first lap in Q1, though. Obviously, that was the best lap in the passes <laughs> if you were listening to our... <laughs> Our qualifying oh, review. Just out there. So if you funny. want to watch a start, well, check out Brad Binder in the sprint race in MotoGP on the weekend. <laughs> Went from 15th to 2nd in like a lap. It was amazing. <laughs> Did he actually? Yes. Yeah, no, so that's was, pretty cool. Yeah, yeah, mate, it was awesome. <laughs> but no, I think you're right. Gunther will be happy. I think that he's got a very consistent driver in, uh, in yep. Hulk. But also, he's got the best of last year with K-Mag as the second driver. So... Points. I think they're going to be they're going to be pushing to the back end of that mid pack, like trying to knock on that door, and hopefully, well off the bottom is what they're looking to do. Look, they're running in seventh at the moment, yeah. which for Haas they're going to be absolutely stoked. So it's Red Bull, Aston Martin, Mercedes, Ferrari, uh, McLaren, Alpine, Haas, Alfa Romeo, Alfa Tauri, Williams. Surprise, McLaren so far up. Well, it's because of the results, I suppose, this weekend. Yeah. Um, let's talk about McLaren. Uh, Piastri, homeboy Piastri. Goodness, good. We, do we hear that? Uh, he came in eighth, which is great news for him. Um, super stoked for him that he's got his first points. I really am. I'm like really want. Oscar to do well, but geez, uh, that car is just yeah. rubbish. Lando Norris in sixth, though, with uh, things of luck 
and some skill for Lando. It has to be yep. said he is yeah. managing to drive the tractor pretty well around the circuit. Um, one thing that I will note, though, and I'm interested in your thoughts about this as a design man, <laughs> um, I saw so many Daniel Ricciardo McLaren shirts and hats over the course of the weekend. Is that an okay thing to do, to wear DR3 merch that's no. McLaren still? Or, I mean, the people who've got the Red Bull merch are stoked. People yeah, with the Renault merch come, are like, around again. Well, this is million. not even a team anymore. <laughs> it costs a million dollars for it, so I don't blame them for not buying new stuff. Yeah, what do you, I'm, what do you totally, think? I'm totally fine with it. I think you're supporting Daniel when you buy that merch. You're not supporting McLaren. Okay. I think it happens to be papaya or whatever colour you bought, but you bought it because it said Daniel on it, not because it said what team. What do you think, Campy? Yeah, fair enough. Okay. I think if you bought like a Ferrari branded jacket that doesn't have a driver's name or number on it, you're supporting Ferrari. If you're buying someone that's well, something all, that says specifically Daniel Ricardo, yeah. it's all last year's merch rot. So Yep. What are you expecting people to do? Go and buy new merch like football teams and NBA uh, teams who change their design uh, slightly not, so you've got not, to have the new design. Not for $300,000 for a jacket or a T-shirt. <laughs> which is ridiculous. Which is why James and I spend absorbent amounts on Daniel Ricardo branded merch mm. that isn't team related. Mm. I <laughs> Make almost, sure that we're future-proofed. I almost bought a Valtteri Bottas hat <laughs> yesterday. The uh, the mullet hat. It says business time on the front and party time on the back. <laughs> Very good. <laughs> I didn't because I went, I've got so many bloody Formula One hats yeah. with Daniel Ricciardo. I don't need this one. I think your original Daniel Ricciardo one with the original logo is still one of my favorites that you've got. Yeah. It's still sitting on the shelf. That was still when he was at Red Bull. I think you bought mm. that. That was mm. before the first change mm. and it still remained. So that's it. Buy driver merch, not team merch. Yeah, there you go. That's a good vibe um, if they've got it. Uh, but uh, for, for McLaren, Campy and for Oscar Piastri, let's talk about the homeboy. It is good for him to have those points. Yep. Uh, it was... Interesting, as I mentioned before, seeing him struggle behind that Alpha Tauri, trying to get past and the the simplicity of what Perez did. But when he did get past, it was a great move. So it still feels like he's in pretty good control of the car. It's just the straight line speed that really needs improvement. I mean, the difference between like Lando's move on on um on Gasly, sorry, Sonoda was aggressive. And it was one of those ones you you could just tell that Lando's been racing in Formula One for five years and he got the job done where he needed to get it done because he was struggling behind him too for seven or eight laps where he you know in that the first part of that first stint couldn't get it yeah particularly after the restart so I think that shows the difference between the two drivers in whereas if um, Oscar had have had that five years experience. He would have got that move done so much more earlier. Yep. You could still see the timidness in the way that Oscar was driving because he's still not. I mean, it's his third race. We can't mm. can't judge him as a as a full time professional that's had you know a hundred races under his belt. And I think that was the difference. But once he got past him, he showed that he had some genuine pace compared to his teammate, yep. which is what we want to see for Oscar. Oscar doesn't have to beat Lando this year convincingly. Oscar's got to perform and be within a tenth and a tenth and a half in qualifying all the time. And the race pace from what we've seen in particular, not the first race, but the two races, is that Lan- uh, that he's got it. He's yep. got the ability to do it with time. And, I mean, what's this guy going to look like with two seasons under his belt? He's mm. going to be a completely different driver. We've seen how the likes of Stroll and – and Yuki, who didn't deserve drives when they came into Formula One and particularly the, the years after. Mate, these guys 
are competent drivers. The more time Piastri sits in this car, the better for him and he's proved himself through all the junior categories yep. that he can adapt. He's got great racecraft. His out-and-out speed doesn't look like it's blitzing like Max Verstappen, but, I mean, I'll tell you what, the way he drives that car and the finesse that he has in, in situations is excellent and he's only going to get better. I think it was JB made the point was it's not so much getting to grips with the car that is the thing. It's getting to grips with the tendencies of other drivers as well. Yep. So Lando knew what Sonoda's tendencies would be in that overtake and how he drives and how he operates. Oscar's out there going, I don't know what this guy's going to do. He's driving with strangers out there not knowing what they're going to do, what they're likely to do. Like it's all those things, getting comfortable with the sport, with the switches, with all the different procedures, all the other little things. He's a good driver. He's just in this foreign machinery in a different scenario than he's had to deal with. So I think he's getting to grips quite quickly. In he's in a, it's his car's 10 times bigger than what yeah. an F2 car is and he had a year out. It's yeah. 10 times more powerful than what he's ever driven and he's – this is the second time he's raced more than 15 laps in his career. I mean, I think the, the one, kid's awesome. The one thing I want to throw down is I think he probably needs to work on his starts. And that's something he had in the junior formulas as well. He's off the line. His grid starts aren't the best. Uh, and that's something that you probably want to improve on. And that's something he's going to look to do, I think, throughout this year. Um, that's just, probably a big just, area of improvement. He's conservative. Yeah. Which can has, like, the tendency to get swamped. But his car positioning out of turn one in every restart this weekend was exactly where you wanted it to be. Wasn't wide, wasn't hitting the Astro turf. It was perfect in the way that it was in the centre of the of the racetrack to get the not the best drive out of turn one, not the optimal line, but he never compromised. And that's yeah. what I want to see because if you go too deep, you compromise that whole way down to turn three and you get swamped by cars. Yes, his initial off-the-line getaway is not great, but he'll get that over, you know, 20, 30 starts and he'll be fine. But I just like the where he positions his car on the track relative to the chaos that mm -hmm. can happen around him. That's a good him. point. Aston Martin, Fernando Alonso in third, Lance Stroll in fourth. Great news for apparently my and Campy exact same fantasy team. <laughs> <laughs> no good. Um, but Fernando, three threes. He even said it, well, we've, you know, got to have a second next time because we've had three uh, three thirds, which on the trot for Fernando Alonso, we never would have expected. I don't think we'll ever get sick of saying that for, for Fernando to get into this. But I would say TJC Electrical and Data that it is it is a, a different kind of race than I was expecting for them. I thought they would be a lot closer to Red Bull, but it seemed like the Mercedes had that pace to try and reel it, even though there was like 10, 15 seconds up the road for most of the race. F Fernando and, and Lance weren't maybe as strong as I was hoping, but they're still very clearly stronger than the rest of the pack, yeah. which is good for Fernando. Yeah, I think I think because of the way the race played out and, you know, with the hards to go, however, 49 laps or whatever it was, they didn't have – they were conserving tyres the whole way without pushing and overcooking tyres to get there. So I think – uh, for Lewis to stay in front of them and for Alonso to have a good battle. I, I mean, that's what people want to see, right? Yep. It never eventuated, which is a shame, but I mean, I mean, Alonso got lucky after the restart. They gave him back that position. I mean, Stroll, right place, right time, all weekend really. Yeah, right place even being in that car in my opinion. <laughs> but it's good for Aston Martin. I mean – yeah. It's, it's great for them as an organisation. I mean, they've got form and copying cars and they've clearly copied the Red Bull from last year and it is showing. 
who's showing in their pace. Um, yep. I think if we had have got to see them push undercut, overcut, use strategy to try and jump Hamilton, I think they probably would have because yep. I think the pace is in the car to do so. But, um, hey, good bank of points. I was very impressed with Alonso's knowledge of the rules. Instantly as that uh, <laughs> had happened, he's like, no, we haven't done a sector. Make sure they're looking at that. We haven't. Make sure that we're restarting the grid from where it was. His knowledge of the sport is unparalleled. But he's, he's been. He's on that other level. Alonso's he? been shafted every yeah. roundabout yeah. which way in Formula he 1 that can happen. So he's got a long memory. He's got an encyclopedia <laughs> of times he's been screwed yeah. over. But I would say as well, I really enjoyed listening to his post race when he was showing a lot of sympathy and even came out and said to signs that he thought that was a harsh penalty and probably shouldn't have been given yeah. that to signs, which is really good as a competitor to say, I actually think even though you did hit me, I don't think it was actually. It's easy to be, it's easy to be nice when you're trying to beat when Ferrari the and the, <laughs> in the Constructors' Championship. I agree, it. but that's, we wouldn't have seen that from Alonso from five, six years ago, the ultimate competitor. I think he's kind of softened, but is still fiery racer, but then off track is... Oh, just love the fact enjoyable. that I love the fact that it was Lewis v Fernando, and Lewis is on the road. Is like there's no way I'm letting that guy <laughs> pass. Me. That's what we want to see, right? Yeah, because they don't like each other. Those two. I mean, they've got respect for each other respect, and their driving yeah. abilities, but like, not gonna have a barbecue together. Is what you're saying? No, nah, no way. <laughs> there's 11 world championships on the podium. This it's pretty weekend, awesome, which is it? pretty it's fantastic. Bad. It's really, really cool indeed. Uh, yeah, look, as you say, great for Aston Martin. It will be interesting to see what they can do in this break between now and Baku if they do bring any upgrades and lessons learned. Of course, Azerbaijan has a brilliant track Ugh. with everything. Street circuit, massively wide and open, heaps of half, like lots of speed down that main straight. It's very, very exciting. Um, Mercedes, though. Geez, Lewis Hamilton back on the podium. It's not the first that he would, would be hoping for, but he's second. Um, and George Russell just, he had a brilliant start in the way that I think we kind of all agreed that he probably would do TT. Yep. Um, it's just unfortunate that uh, he caught fire. Yeah, just very unlucky. I think he was unlucky before that, obviously, but it didn't end up mattering when yeah. he, he made that aggressive choice. So it sounds like that Mercedes offered the choice to him first, to pit or not. Uh, well, and he's then, in front of Lewis on yeah, track. So exactly. And then it was, it was then up to Max to then respond. So they, he ended up staying out. But I think that was the right call. We probably now know that I think it's a 100% rate of safety car at Melbourne. So you know there's one coming every single race. So you probably are better off staying out and waiting for those. But he thought that was his opportunity to get a, to get a, a cheap tyre change and then come through and finish on the hards. But this yeah. is this is what we're talking about in terms of how it's exciting when it comes to pit stop strategy because moves like that yeah. either do or don't pay off long term. And George is the kind of person and driver at the moment it seems is willing to make these kinds of decisions and really start to push the team. Yeah. He even got onto the radio and said, you know, well, Lewis is attacking me. We can see, you've told me to conserve tires. So what, Which what is it? <laughs> What do you want? He's not he's not backwards in coming forwards yeah. now anymore. He's in that team. His his hunger is there. I think maybe some maybe this is just me. I was kind of expecting him to maybe not be as bold with Lewis, but yeah. I suppose it's his second year in in the team now. So uh, he's- says a bit about Mercedes and where they're at too. Yeah, mm. they were happy to split the strategies. Definitely. So they you know one foot in both squares. Let's see yeah. how this plays out. Whereas previously, we know that they can double stack. Yeah, yesteryear when oh, their car was the one, when their car was the most dominant. Mm. If that was the best strategy to come in pit, they wouldn't split them. They'd just say, "Hey, just back up, give us some time, so we can yeah. double stack you." So, I think they're well aware of where the car's at in yep. comparison for a world championship. And if I think if George didn't take that, 
100% Hamilton would have. Yeah, totally. I think yep. Anthony Hamilton was saying before that he's like, he's he's not going to be taking risks, but he's looking to make moves and yeah. and take every opportunity possible right now with the way this car's set up. So good to see them competitive. Yeah. Now there's a slight concern in the fact that his power unit caught on fire. From a reliability point of view, that now leaves only Alpine or the Renault power unit that hasn't had a problem. Honda... Oh, no, it wasn't a Honda Power Unit, was it, with Checo? Anyway, so the, all of the cars have had problems now apart from the Alpine. But the, I mean, the problem for them is crashing into the wall and, and each other. Um, but for Mercedes, interesting. I wasn't expecting to see so many things, but I think it also shows they're probably pushing and trying to extract as much as they possibly can from, yep. from what they've got to try and make up for the lack of side pods or whatever the issue yeah. is with this car. Um, but it is good to see Lewis back up on the podium. Never thought I'd say that, but here it I is. am. It's really good. Yeah. 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 Let's talk about Red Bull. Uh, Max Verstappen, absolutely dominant. Um, no surprises there whatsoever. Uh, first time since 2011 Red Bull have won here yeah, wow. at Albert Park. Really? Yeah. Was that Seb? Seb? He's never. Yeah, and yeah. he's never. Ever, Max has never won at, at, at um, Albert Park. His yeah, best right. is third. So uh, it's been a long time coming for this team. Um, he was clearly very dominant. The, the car really loved this surface. It was only resurfaced last year. The new layout down the back section of Lakeside Drive um, was so quick. It looked oh. so just easy. I mean, the amount of overtakes Perez did on other cars going in through the faster section oh. of the track was oh. Oh, unbelievable. It was the best so spot, great. wasn't it? I mean, even Max's move on Lewis, just yeah. that, I mean, it just shows how good that car is. <laughs> yeah. Tell you what, though, I was <sighs> – I was a bit disappointed in the way Checo's race played out. You look at the Talk gap. To me. You look at the gap that Max Verstappen pulled on Lewis Hamilton when he passed him. It was three and a half seconds <laughs> within lap. a lap yeah, and a half. <laughs> and then Max obviously turned everything down and was driving to a Delta and was probably bored. He's like, this is <laughs> testing, right? Genuinely. For him to be able to extract that pace out of a car, I think Checo. I remember once Checo passed somebody, he had to he had to hunt down. I think it was uh, Hulk. No, it was uh, he was hunting down Norris. It's mm-hmm. a five and a half second lap, and it was about lap twenty eight. And I thought if he can get him by lap thirty five, he's on chance for a podium. He didn't pass him. Like that five and a half second gap that he had to bridge to a to a McLaren. I thought, geez. If he can get this done quick, it's going to be good. But he didn't pass him to like lap 42 or something. Yeah. And Checo's out-and-out pace just didn't look like it was there. When he had DRS, it was – but when he had DRS, he could get past those cars. But in that other section – now, I don't know whether it's he doesn't have the same pace as Max or it's because just he was managing tyres. He was trying to get it to the end as well. But I just – I it was a bad weekend for Checo. I mean, he'd lost a lot of points in the world championship. He just doesn't seem to have that race attrition. His weekend was a stinker, wasn't it? It was, and I just thought he could have been way better. Yeah. Particularly with the advantage that that car has on track. Is there a bit of uh, pressure, do you think, from Daniel being at the track? I don't, know, I don't mean this to, to sound like oh, a Daniel Ricciardo bias podcast. I mean, we are, but... If we take take it on the face of things, do you think because Max obviously is under pressure from anyone, but Checo with the news stories, he's obviously heard the things of like, oh, you know, Daniel's the preferred option from the seat. Whether it's true or not doesn't matter. It's mind games, and I don't think Dr's playing those mind games himself. He's no. not. But do you think that part of? I mean, there's been mechanical issues as well. But do you think part of it is there was just more pressure on Sergio probably this weekend than he's experienced in the last two years? Yes, 
Absolutely. And it'll be internal. So it'll be all between his own ears too. Yep. Yeah. And coming off last week's performance, you know, getting that win and being able to manage the pace back backwards to uh, – um, to Max and then Max getting the fastest lap, which he wanted and he was trying, you know, all that stuff. He was like, the team's trying to shaft me already. You know, they're not giving me the opportunity. They're making me drive deltas, whereas Max backing off and he thinks he can do it. But I just think these, particularly in Australia, I mean, this was the first time he got asked a question, DR's back this weekend. Do you reckon he's ready to go? And Christian's response was, he's 10 minutes away from being ready. <laughs> that can't be good as a you second know? driver, yeah. And I think, uh, there's obviously there's obviously some tensions in that garage, and that's all Max Verstappen coming from his side. They obviously get along with Daniel. They want Daniel in that seat because they've raced together before. Yep. The interview with the three of them there, yeah. and Max and Daniel were all joking around together and having a laugh and funny. And Perez looked like the third wheel on something. Now that'd be different in a place like Mexico where it's Checo's home race, but. All that stuff playing into him. I think the car generally had some issues in qualifying on Saturday and in the practices, therefore he got the results that he did. But that's not going to do anything for his confidence. And if he has two or three bad weekends in a row, I just think mm. he cannot drive around issues like Max can because Max would have been having the same setup issues as well. Yeah, and it looked like Max, like you said, James, they're not trying to dominate races and, and lap people. They're just trying to win. Win is a win, whether it's by a second or whether it's by a minute. I don't think they're out here pushing just to show off. They're conserving. They're making sure that they're winning races, and that's what Max is desirous. But he's looking after parts because the cost cap's so important, yeah. and they've got reduced wind tunnel time and all these kind of things. They're thinking very, very long term in that strategy, and he's not out here showboating and doing all these kind of things. They're very, very controlled, I think, Red Bull. And I I would often offer up maybe they're looking to add some tension to that relationship to push Checo and see if he can handle it. I think Mercedes wouldn't do that as much. I think we've seen VB was like told to just be very quiet, but I think bringing in this Daniel role as a third driver, not a reserve driver, but a third driver, yeah. kind of which is unheard of really, just as this kind of maybe motivator or opportunity to push Checo and see how he responds because yeah. they know that Daniel is there and can step in at any moment. Yeah. Pretty clear to me that Christian is happy to have Daniel back. Yeah. If nothing else than just to take the piss out of Zach in front of him. <laughs> oh, that was one of the great interviews. What did you do to him? Feed him too much? <laughs> well, no, the opposite. I think he was trying to make it a ploy in his own catering joke, but also said yeah. to Zach, you know, yeah. you know, I'm not sure what you guys did to him, but we've had to feed him up yeah. because he looked a bit skinny. Yeah. Um, he picked up bad habits from other teams. And I think that's that's very true because one of the things I think is probably most important out of all of this is the way that Daniel left Red Bull probably wasn't the best, not as not as bad certainly as the way that Seb left Red Bull. Yeah. So at least he's got that in his corner. But I think that now that he's back in the fold and, you know, he's wearing the merchandise and everyone's happy to have their DR3, you know, Red Bull hats back on and whatever else, that it looks like, you know, the right direction would be for at some point in the future for him to be back in that car alongside Max. Now, whether that happens or not, who knows? But as you said, it's totally Checo playing his own head because a lot of what he did over the weekend, considering the sheer bad luck he had, was very, very good. Uh, And it has to be said that he is still a very good driver. And don't forget, we were stoked for him when he was announced for Red Bull Mm -hmm. um, after he was booted out because of Lance. So Definitely. I think it'll be interesting to see 
this was Danny Rick's home Grand Prix, so he's always going to get heaps of media coverage and heaps of interviews. It'll be really interesting to see how much press coverage that he, Daniel gets in the next race that he's attending. I'm not sure if it's Baku or not. Or It'll be interesting to see because we know that when – I mean, you look at the back of the grid. Guys like Sargent, yes, they get interviewed, but they are not prime time on television spots. If Danny Rick goes to the next race as a third driver and dominates media and is here, there and everywhere, that will suggest to me that, hey, this guy is as loved as we think – and he's like, I remember Fernando Alonso showed up to pre-season testing right. once and the media was in a frenzy about yeah. it. Danny Rick shows up like that at the next non-home track. We'll get to see whether or not he's at the uh, on the grid next year. Interestingly, when it was uh, on the broadcast where DR was sitting in the Red Bull pit wall, you could hear the crowd through the microphones at the in on the camera in the yeah. Red Bull garage. You could hear the roar from the other side of the pit lane for DR. And I was speaking to people who were at the track, and they're like, every time DR came up on screen, ev- everybody, regardless of merchandise, was cheering and, and clapping. Uh, before we wrap up team by team, let's talk about the FIA because I'm going to leave them in here as the, the final, final team, team to talk about uh, because they are a team. Um, let's have a quick chat about red flag usage, safety cars, virtual safety cars. Campy, are we happy with what's actually happened in terms of safety cars? Because bloody Ted Kravitz couldn't help himself, but all, like he was just attacking Michael Massey left, right and centre. All he's like, oh, Michael Matthews in the paddock, so this is why we're doing this. Like, Ted, shut up, dude. Like, seriously, let it go. Yeah. For once, David Croft actually said, no, said good things, being. a human being, and I actually agreed with Crofty. It was great to see him. It was. On, yeah. yeah. Um, oh, don't like the first red flag. Didn't need it. Gravel on the track. Give me a break. <laughs> oh, I understand that we're going safety conscious, but gravel, give me a like, dude. Once 20 cars go around that little section, twice, so that's 40 F1 cars with all the pressure going past it, that is clear and ready to go on the racing line. If you step off it, you're in trouble anyway. So I didn't like the first red flag. I kind of understand the KMAG red flag. You know, the car, they had to bring people on track. They had to remove all the debris. Yeah, and they had, to, spot. they had to check all of the, the the barriers and stuff like that for all the safety. I kind of get that one. But the first one, geez, what a, what a load of shit. Like that, it's garbage gravel on track. Seriously, I mean, what are we talking about here? It's like oh, anyway, I can't even fathom it. But I think, other than that decision, I was very happy with the FIA and how they uh, put the rules together uh, and applied them this weekend. I yeah. think everything was done correctly. Everything was to the rule book. No one really has a gripe, other than signs going that one was too harsh, which is like. Probably a 50-50 coin toss, really, depending but on that's who's a, there. But that's across four or five exactly. stewards. So. Totally, and that's fine. But I think how the rules were applied based on red yep. uh, like red flagged, how we should finish the race, all those things were done well. What I would say is can we do it a little quicker? Because as a spectacle, it, it's, it's okay to pause for a bit, but it was how much real time was taken at the end of a race to finish a couple of laps. If we can tighten that up, I think that's that's the optimal. Yeah, because you lose, you're always going to lose laps with your formation lap on the yep. restart. And then if the safety car's out for two laps before they call the red flag, I mean, you've already lost I mean, four four laps of the possible six you could have got. If it had been red flag straight away and you get five laps go to whoa, awesome. But yeah. I mean, we're picking at straws here, just, you know, 
we want to see we want to see the cars racing on track, right? Yep. And like you're right, they totally. But I think they've made a right. conscious effort to make that happen because in the past, say five six years ago, we would have just finished under a yellow. Yeah. And they've made a conscious effort not to do that. One yeah. of the things at least that happened is they made a decision quickly. Unlike last weekend where – or last race rather in Saudi where Alonso didn't have yeah, the third and then he had the third again and it was just a bloody mess. Um, one thing, the decision is better than indecision. I'll always say that. And I think the stewards had a lot to do. It is worth saying that pretty much every category that raced at Albert Park this weekend had either a yellow, a safety car – like sorry, a double wave yellow, safety yep. car or a red flag appear in their sessions because yep. people were pushing the limits – Gravel on track, bits of carbon fiber. I can understand bits of car on track. Mm. That's you need to clean it up. I mean, it's obviously not as bad as it used to be. Campy with the front wings being yep. a lot more solid. But anyway, I look. I, I didn't think it was too bad. Uh, it was a crazy race. Um, certainly a memorable race. The Australian Grand Prix in twenty twenty three. Uh, here for that, I think it's great. Oscar yep. Piastri points on his home Grand Prix debut. Fantastic indeed. Yep. All right, gents, let's talk about our fantasy team name competition before we wrap this one up. Um, One hundred and fourteen teams. Uh, it'd be great if we could get to 500. I don't know why I want 500, but let's just do number. that. Just, just join the competition. doesn't cost you a thing. Um, here are the, my favourites from the uh, from this weekend. Uh, Danny Rick Marketing Services. <laughs> Cracks pulled a gap out front. <laughs> Trackside for more points. Give him a passport. Oztery. Um, Oscar de Grouch Street. <laughs> Terry the Mullet Bottas. Sigma Alonso. It's the vibe of it. Garbo of the people. See Orlando, Gunther's bunch of wankers. DR still the number one Aussie. Big fat QR code on my TV screen. Who nicked these fries? Uh, out of time. Insert pun. Very good. <laughs> How bad is this website? Yes, it is. Uh, <laughs> Muck FEA. I'm not going to say that if you don't know what it means. Fantastic. Coin Crypto Bit Money CF1. <laughs> yep, it's just ridiculous. Uh, Roscoe, where are my bags? <laughs> <laughs> Home Among the Gum Trees, Turn Up Bernie's Mike, yes, although she wasn't here this weekend, and the Campy Smith Hotel. The Campy Smith Hotel. Very good. Uh, Look, this has been a lot of fun to do, a a huge weekend. It was great to be in the paddock, but it it has to be said, there is so much to be said from watching on a screen at home in a pub. So if you didn't make it to the Australian Grand Prix and you really wanted tickets, look, it was a great vibe, but the three of us weren't there on race day. and I don't think you missed much apart from taking a very long time to exit via tram, unless you're one of the few people who can fly out by helicopter like Campy to Crown Casino to immediately go straight to the Pokey like he does. Oh, <laughs> He's a roulette man. Look at him. <laughs> Not Gambling. the planes. Give me a break. Uh, but that's it for this episode. If you enjoyed it, please consider leaving a rating or a review. Like our friends, uh, Try and Be Civil on Apple Podcasts left five stars the other day and said, love the podcast and Friar is one of the best commentators in F1. And uh, T-A-E-M-07, five stars, says, love this pod, new to Formula One, but just love it. So we really appreciate it when you take the time to write. Um, and of course, it helps the algorithm find uh, help us find other people and other people find us in this content but uh, there's plenty more to come yes we have a big old break between now and Baku but we still have more content coming your way so make sure you subscribe to the podcast Uh, it's great to do this gents thank you Tommy T thank you thank you Campy thank you see you next time listener uh, on Lakeside Drive alright Campy can you pull your microphone into your into your gob 23rd. (laughs) 23rd in Australia Okay, is that it? Whole microphone as well as you better.
Social Podcast Network.